0: Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Authentic series, which walks through the book of James, discovering how we can be a growing and maturing Christian. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. James chapter two tonight, and uh, we are going to uh, continue our study in our series that we've been going through uh, authentic, looking at what it is to be a thriving and maturing Christian out of the book of James. But before we get to the message uh, tonight, talking about a thriving faith, I uh, wonder if you've ever noticed how kids always want to be up in your business. You ever notice that? Any any parent of children uh, or teenagers, or if you've ever been around kids or teens uh, it's inevitable that no matter what you're doing, the kids want to be right in the middle of it. So our story is with phones. In our house, our teenagers, uh, they don't have their own cell phone. They have, there's one phone, that, one cell phone that stays at the house that they all three can, can kind of share, but they don't just get unlimited time. On it, we, uh, we're those parents that I think, uh, man, it should be something that you train them how to use it right first, and so that's our philosophy on it. If yours is different, that's fine. Uh, but in our house, they don't just get their own cell phone anytime they want, but whenever our cell phones come out, immediately, there's a kid right next to you, and um, I'll show you. Micah, would you come help me tonight? Hurry, come here. So here's what I wanna do. We're just gonna, I'm gonna open up Twitter or Facebook. I just want you to do right now what you would do at home before I tell you not to do it, okay? Will you do that? Okay, so here we go. I'm on Facebook at home. That's what he does. This is the Micah, it's called the Micah peer. He just peers in, do it again, do it again. Come in right there. That's what he does. Usually it's right over the phone and I can't even see the phone, And I'm like, bro, back up. And you know what he does? He goes, okay. Show him what you do when I say back up. And then, and then he comes right back in. He does it all the time. He'll back up and he'll come right back in, back up and then come right back in. And uh, all three of the kids do it every now and then. Thanks, good job. You did a great job. Give him a hand. All three of the kids, man, they'll do that. And uh, your, your kids do it too. You think about it. Think about kids that you've been around or teens that you've been around, uh, or maybe you were the one that when mom and dad were doing something, you were right in the middle of it. And you're asking questions. Why are you doing that? What are you doing? Can I go? And with us, all that happens all the time. And the kids, they want to be in the middle of the action. And I'll say, what are you doing? I'm, I'm, there's not, you know, uh, if I... Show Hannah something that's funny, something politically that's funny. I'll show Hannah and she'll laugh, and the kids will go, can I see? I'll go, well, no, you're not going to understand it. Well, let me see anyway. Well, it doesn't have to do with you. Well, dad, come on, please, just let me see. And I show it to them, and then they go, I don't get it. I told you you wouldn't get it. Well, I still wanted to see. You know what? A child, a teenager, they just want to be in the middle of everything. Some parents get really irritated at kids asking questions all the time, you want your kids to ask questions all the time. Now, unless they're two or three years old, it's just why, 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 why? That's, that's a different story, but we want our kids, any any parent or grandparent is gonna say, ask questions, because if you don't ask questions, you're not gonna grow in knowledge. Why do they ask questions? They wanna be in the middle of it. They're gonna be right in the middle of the action. James chapter two is where we're picking up in our study. We've already learned a number of things Remember, James is writing to a people, go back to James chapter one, where he says to the 12 tribes, which are scattered abroad, my brethren, greeting, he's writing to believers who most of them, the majority of them would be Hebrews to the 12 tribes, but because of the dispersion. We know that because of the persecution of believers in Acts chapter number 8 under Saul of Tarsus that uh, the the dispersion would take place. And many of these believers of the early church at Jerusalem that James was a co-pastor in, they would be dispersed all over the known world. And James, about two and a half, three years later, would write to them uh, just with the burden of a pastor because he knew what they were going through. He knew the challenges that the believers uh, were facing. He knew the persecution they were facing. And so he wanted to write to them, hey, don't quit on your faith, even in the midst of hard times. Hey, don't walk away from God, even in the midst of hard times. And he would write to them about this idea of having a thriving, a growing, and a maturing and aging Christianity. To be a real Christian, be an authentic Christian. He's written things like... the fact that a thriving and maturing christian seeks to have joy even in the midst of trials remember when he said count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation hey count it a joy knowing that the trial of your faith it worketh patience but let patience have her perfect work that you that you can be uh, entire or complete wanting nothing he's saying hey a thriving maturing christian seeks to have joy in trials a thriving and maturing Christian, asks God for wisdom in trials. Uh, James chapter one and verse number five, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. But let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Man, what is James getting at? Hey, you're gonna go through trials, have joy in trials. How do you have joy in trials? You need God's wisdom. How do you have wisdom in trials? You need to pray in faith, seek God in the midst of those trials. A thriving, maturing Christian is going to ask God for wisdom, going to turn to the word of God. And we've learned a number of other lessons. Last week, we took time to learn that a thriving and maturing Christian is going to seek to live without partiality. Remember James chapter 2 and verse number 1, my brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons." Instead, follow the example of God. What was the example of God? Man, God, through Christ, broke down all the walls. He broke down all the biases. He broke down all the prejudices. And here's James writing to them saying, hey, don't be like the persecutors that we are facing. Don't be like those who live with partiality. No, you're a child of God. Go through life and see people through the lens that God sees them with. And tonight... Tonight, we're going to be challenged to be like my children, like Micah. You say, what do you mean, Pastor? Tonight, we're going to be challenged to be in the action. Don't be a Christian who sits on the sideline. Be a Christian who wants to be in the action. And here's the challenge we're really going to walk away with tonight is understanding that a thriving and maturing Christian has a faith that wants to be in the action. A thriving and maturing Christian has a faith that is not only a statement, but is also a life. It's not simply words, it's lived in action. And this is the truth that we're gonna be challenged with tonight, to have a real faith that is at work, that is evident, and that has action behind it. James chapter two, let's stand together and read these verses Give you a second to stretch your legs before I preach for the next two hours. I'm kidding. <clears throat> Thank you, son. Yeah. James chapter 2 and, uh, and verse number 14. What doth it profit, my brethren? Though a man say he have faith and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, depart in peace, be ye warmed and... And filled, notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God? Thou doest well. But the devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? The scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed or counted unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works, when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Tonight we're going to learn this principle that a thriving and a maturing Christian is going to have a faith that wants to be in action, a faith that is in action. I think it'll be a help to us tonight. Let's pray, and then we'll dive into this passage before us. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you just take a second, and would you, uh, in the quietness of your own heart, would you ask God to speak to you? You can pray something simple. God, please speak into my life tonight. And then would you commit to him that if he speaks to you, that you will listen to him and respond to him. Dear Lord, thank you for the day. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for how you use your word to help us and to speak into our lives I thank you for this morning, Lord. Thank you for how you blessed and the uh, many uh, answered prayer requests even this morning. Thank you for those that got baptized. Thank you for the one that trusted you after service. Thank you, God, for uh, just how you continue to work in this place. And God, I pray that you'd help us tonight. Father, I pray that you'd speak through me. I need you. I pray that you'd speak to me tonight and help me to be challenged once again to have faith in action. Lord, I pray that you help each one of us to receive what you have for us. If there's someone here tonight, whether they be in person or online, they don't know that heaven is where they would spend eternity, I pray that tonight would be the night they put their faith and their trust in you. We love you, God. Thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. As we come to our passage tonight, I want to begin with two words that I say often at church, especially when we approach um, what some would consider to be difficult passages in scripture. The two words are these, context, what's the second word? Matters. Context matters. How many of you have ever in your life been taken out of context? Anybody here like that? I know I've been taken out of context before, and you perhaps have been taken out of context But when you come to Scripture, context truly matters. The context of a Scripture is defined as the parts of something written or spoken that immediately precede and follow a word or a passage. The context of Scripture is reading and applying the words of not just one verse, but of the whole passage. Context is important in every area of our lives. We've all been taken out of context in a conversation Context in conversation matters. Context in your work matters. Context matters, especially when it comes to scripture. You don't ever wanna just read a verse and not understand the context with, in, which it, in which it was written. For example, go to our passage before us tonight. I'm gonna read you a verse and I'm gonna just run with it. James chapter 2 and verse 14. What doth the prophet, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? I want to preach to you tonight about the fact that faith alone cannot save you. Could I do that from that verse if I just read that verse? I could. You see what I'm saying? But let's think about context. Let's talk about the context of Scripture in its entirety. Does faith alone save you? Yes, faith alone saves. Well, where do we read that? Oh, I don't know. How about like the whole book of Romans? Uh, Maybe Hebrews. Let's go to the words of Christ and the four gospels. Uh, Let's even go all the way back to the Old Testament, go to Genesis and discover faith saves. So do you think that then James chapter two and verse number 14 is contradicting the whole of scripture? No, context matters. You say, pastor, why why start with those two words? Because James chapter two can be a very challenging passage. It can be one of those places in scripture I've had um, people take me to James chapter two and, and try to convince me that salvation is Jesus plus works. And they go there and they try to do this from James chapter two and verse number 14. And when they do that, I I say, well, okay, let's look at the entirety of James two, not just James two, 14. Because if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we could come to James chapter two and we could leave with a theology or a biblical understanding or a biblical teaching that says that, Faith and works is how a person trusts Christ in salvation, but that is not the case. Case in point: if it was faith plus plus plus, if it was faith plus anything, if it was faith plus anything, then what Jesus said to the thief on the cross was false, because Jesus said to the thief on the cross, "Today thou shalt be with me in paradise." He didn't get down to get baptized. He didn't have a life of works to prove salvation. He just said, Thou art the Savior. He just said, I basically I believe that you're the Messiah. So faith alone saves. So then what is this? What is this saying? I mean, look at verse 17. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. How do you bring the two together? How do we marry these phrases? Tonight, I just want us to help us understand that the context of this passage is very important. And James is not writing to these believers to, help, to challenge them in their decision about salvation, James is writing to challenge them to live out their faith on the daily life. He's writing to challenge believers. He's already said to my brethren, so he knows that the majority of his readers are saved, although there would be some, and we'll see this in just a second, who are not. James is writing to help them understand, hey, if you really are saved, you should desire that your life will back it up now I'm really my my introduction is like fifty percent of the message, all right <clears throat> if we If we become the judge of someone's salvation, okay, not our own but others, if we become the judge of someone else's salvation what what do we judge it by? We judge it by works, right so There are people, I I had a pastor years ago, years and years ago. I think it was our first couple of years. We had a pastor get up and we had a revival and this pastor got up to preach and he preached out of 1 John and he preached a message about knowing salvation. And I had to get up the next week in church and I had to kind of say, hey, what was said last week We're gonna dig into that a little bit deeper because the theme of that message was if your life doesn't show it, then you are not saved. How many of you in here have ever made a decision that you know Christ was disappointed in? Oh, okay, everybody. I just wanna make sure I wasn't the only one. Um, has, Has Jesus those of you that know Christ as your Savior, has Jesus always, every day since you trusted Christ, has Jesus been 100% in control of your life? 100% in control. Some of you are like, pastor, it's a trick question. I'm not even shaking my head. I'm not even making eye contact, man. I ain't doing that. I'll, I'll just answer the question, no. Jesus has not... Since the day you got saved, he has not always been on the throne of your heart. Has he lived in your life? Yes. Has the Holy Spirit indwelled you? Yes. Romans chapter eight, Romans chapter six. The Holy Spirit moves in. There's a difference, though, between Jesus being your Lord and Jesus being your Savior. Savior is, I trust Jesus for salvation. Lord says, you are in control. Thus, we have Romans chapter eight. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. There's a, there's a battle going on between our flesh and the Holy Spirit. I wish it was a thing that like when we got saved, God moved in and it was like, oh. I'm perfect, you know, and I never mess up. I never say the wrong thing. I never open mouth, insert foot. I never think anything bad. I never deal with bitterness. I never deal with wrong thoughts. I never deal with uh, uh, bad attitude towards people. Don't you wish that it's like once you got saved, you just became perfect, but that's not the case. No, that's the process, we talked about it this morning, called sanctification. It is growing in the Lord, and every single one of us, from the moment you trust Christ to the moment you enter heaven you are growing in the Lord uh, Peter said but grow in grace grow in that strengthening grace of God knowing this that hey every day I choose who I serve bring all of that into the context of what James is saying James is not saying hey if you sin you lose your salvation James is not saying, hey, there's got to be, you've got to have this whole, uh, uh, you know, this whole list of things that you've done to show that you're saved. And if you haven't done these things, then you're not saved. No, it is Jesus plus nothing in order for us to have eternal life and forgiveness from Him. That's what Jesus said. It would have been a great opportunity, the multiple times that Jesus was asked. What must I do to be saved? Nicodemus, John chapter number three. It would have been a perfect opportunity for Jesus to say, Nicodemus, you must believe in me, get baptized and do a bunch of good things. But he didn't say that. He said to Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall be saved, shall have everlasting life. Right? So it's kind of plain and simple right there. So what is James talking about then? All right, 50% of the message is done already. I only have 75% more to go. That's my math. James is not, again, he's not trying to help these believers get saved and saved and saved again. He's trying to help them understand this simple thought. If you are a thriving and maturing or growing Christian, You're going to desire to have a life that proves you're saved. There's three types of faith that Paul addresses in our passage. The first, we are going to call what the scripture calls it a dead faith. A dead faith or an empty faith. James chapter 2, verse 14 through 17. What doth it profit, my brethren? Though a man say he have faith and have not works, can faith. Flipped off my own microphone. If a brother or a sister be naked and destitute of daily food, one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. James, right here, he recognizes that. Even among these early believers, there were people who professed Christ but did not possess Christ. He speaks here of a faith that simply speaks of believing but never takes steps or action in believing. Now, to illustrate this, he uses a situation where you see someone who needs help. Someone comes up and they they are in need in need of clothing and in need of food, and you have the ability to help them. And you say, "Be ye warmed and filled, and find some clothes, get some food." Those words—they're empty. Well, I really care about them. Be ye warmed and filled. The words are empty. There is no showing of real understanding about their need. There is no action that shows you really care about their need. James is making a comparison with some people's faith. We know them. You've worked with them. You've met them. Are there people out there who say, who say they believe in God, but they really don't believe in God? Are there people out there like that? Oh, yes. Yeah, there are. And so in the context of this particular portion, James is talking about those types of people. There are people who they say one thing, but there is not anything. There's no validity to it. If we say we have faith, but there has never been any Action behind the faith, it may be that we have a dead faith. This is what we would call an empty faith. <clears throat> when someone trusts Christ as Savior, what is the action behind their faith? If I'll, I'll say it this way, and I hope we don't get confused tonight, what is the work? behind a person's faith at the moment of salvation. What is it? Confessing. Confessing. That's the work. Here's what the Bible says. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So if we really want to get into a semantic argument, then I guess there is a work behind faith. Well, what's the work? It's the hard, hard work of receiving. If I take my phone out and I go down here and I give it to my friend Bud and I say, Bud, my phone is a gift from me to you. Well, we've talked about this in church a lot. And what would he have to do to make it? It's a gift. What does he have to do? Take it. That's literally it. There are a lot of people, though, they, they say, Oh, yeah, I have faith, but they've never received. I've met them out door knocking. You have too. I've met them at, a, at the job that I've worked, at jobs that I've worked, the, the current job I work. I work with a lot of unsaved people right now. Please pray for them. <laughs> Some of you will catch that later. <clears throat> you know what? <laughs> Carlos, is that who it is? Carlos Bryan's praying for you to trust Christ. Uh, amen. Um, you know what? Every one of us—we've been around those people that they have an empty, an empty faith. There is no action behind their faith. They have a dead faith, and and they substitute words for action. A dead faith—it does not produce any sort of spiritual fruit. The word "alone" is actually used in this verse. It means by itself. The word alone means by itself. I love how one man said it. He said, true faith, true saving faith can never be by itself. It always brings life and life produces fruit. Death, Dead faith is really an intellectual faith. It's a knowing faith, but not an actionable faith. Those with a dead and empty faith, they speak words with no action. It's a head knowledge, but no heart knowledge. All right, so that's the first type of faith. What's the second type of faith? Second type of faith is what I'm gonna call an emotional faith, an emotional faith. Where do we see this? Look at our passage, verse 19 and 20. James writes this, thou believest that there is one God. Hey, good job, (laughs) you're doing well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? As we read these words tonight, we've got to know, we've got to know this, that as James writes, he just now, right then, he got the attention of every reader. It's like having a conversation. Hey, hey, do you believe in God? Yeah, I believe in God. Oh, man, good job. The demons also believe in God. Hold up, James, are you comparing me to a demon? James, are you? James, what? He's saying, you say you believe. You say you have faith. Well, the demons, they also believe. What he did is he just shocked his complacent readers with using demons as an illustration, because it comes as a shock to people to know that demons have faith. They believe. Well, what do they believe? Well, they believe a number of things about God, but some things I'll give you real quick they believe in the deity of Jesus Mark 3:11 and unclean spirits when they saw Jesus they fell down before him and they cried saying thou art the son of god they believe in the coming punishment that they have they besought him Jesus that he would com- not command them to go out into the deep they know punishment is coming the demons they believe that Jesus is the judge Mark 5, 7, and he cried with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. They also believe that Jesus is merciful. Isn't that interesting? Mark 5, 12, and all the devils besought him saying, send us into the swine that we may enter enter into them. They believe in the mercy of Jesus. The demons, they believe in the existence of God. They are neither atheists nor agnostics. They know there is a God and they believe in a God. And their emotions are affected by that belief. That's what it says. Did you read it? The devils also believe and tremble. That's an emotional response. There is fear. There is true humility in the sense of recognition that he is more powerful than I am. But that simple belief for the demons does nothing for them. It is not a saving experience to believe and to tremble. The fact is a person can be enlightened in his mind and even stirred in his heart and still be lost forever. A person can believe, a person, listen, can believe to the point that their emotions, they get all worked up and extremely stirred, but that never results in action. Emotional faith simply stirs the emotions, but does not provoke, provoke a decision. There is no actionable step behind emotional faith. Now, real quick, James is not speaking against having emotions in our faith. I don't know about you, but this morning, and I'm probably, I'm going to be very vulnerable and confess something to you right now. I've been emotional today. Today's been an emotional day for me. I don't know I don't know what it is. I know that uh, my dad's been on my mind. I'm not gonna talk about it right, about it right now because I'll start crying. Then my mom will start crying. Then other people will start crying. Then afterwards, everybody's gonna be like, Aah. you know, we're not doing that. But today, we're singing that song. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try it right, right now. We're singing Psalm 84. Now, I'm home. And that's a, song, that's a song I sang on October 3rd, 2021. Our family sang that as a special that day. I went home and ate lunch and got a phone call 45 minutes later that my dad was in eternity. And my sister, she has a picture of her holding the phone up to my dad as we were singing that song. I'll be honest, this morning when we started singing that song today, and we've, we've sang it recently, I, I couldn't do it. I, I couldn't do it. I started, I started in, I love I the song. What a powerful song. But you know what happened? I started getting emotional. And I was, I was emotionally stirred thinking about heaven. And, and, and my, in my mind, and this, this maybe this won't happen to you, but it happens to me in my mind, man, when it talks about being seated at his table, I can't even think about the lyrics right now. Just, my mind's blank on it. But talking about being uh, seated at his table and standing in his presence, I think about my dad right there. Like I literally think about my dad pulling up a seat and talking to the Lord. And you know what, I'm, I'm like, man, that's awesome. Man, that's so cool. You know what, I get emotionally stirred. James isn't saying, uh, if, you're, if you have emotions, you know, you need to curb those. Uh, go ahead and check those at the door. No, James is simply saying this, Emotions and belief that don't have action. What's the point? Belief that never seeks. Belief that never prays. There's tons of people that will sit and listen. There have been people in our church that have sat for years before trusting in Christ. You know them. You know people that you've met before. Maybe you were that person that you'd say, I sat in a service for years before I came to the knowledge of trusting in Jesus Christ personally. Hey, you could, before that day you trusted Christ, you could leave and you could have died and you know where you would have gone? Hell. Why? Because there was never belief that took the step to make the decision. Dead faith, empty faith. Emotional faith. It's the belief, the head knowledge, and the heart stirring. James talks about these two dead faith, emotional faith. And lastly, tonight, he talks about this one that I call authentic faith. Authentic faith or real faith. Look at verse number 18. A man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. James says, show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Verse 18 is key. I never really paid attention to verse 18 until we went through the book of James on Thursdays in 2016. James 2.18 is absolute key to this passage. Mainly that second part of the verse, show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. In scripture, we are encouraged not to judge people, right? I mean, last week we were challenged, hey, you worry about you. To live without partiality, like, hey, you worry about you. But the fact of the matter is, every single person in here makes judgments or assessments about other people all the time. I want you to notice in this verse where James says, show me thy faith and I will show thee my faith. Here's what James is getting at don't miss it. People are going to assess your faith by your life, the outside world is going to assess your faith by your life, and you and I, we are going to assess other people's faith by their life. I've had the coworkers, and you have too. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Blankety blank, 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 blankety blank, 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 just cursing up a storm. In the back of my mind, even though they, even though they truly could be saved, the back of my mind, I'm like could have fooled me, man. Now, is that assessment a judgment? Am I going, oh my goodness, no, you're not. No, it's just an assessment in my own head. People are going to assess where you are at, not only based upon what you say, but also based upon how you live. Here's what James is getting at in this entire passage. It is the fact that authentic faith is displayed by action. And James uses two people to illustrate this. We already read the verses. I'm not going to do them. For time's sake, but verse 20 down through verse number 26, two people that James speaks about, Abraham and Rahab, two very different characters and yet one great thing in common. How were they different? Abraham was a Jew, Rahab was a Gentile. Abraham was a godly man, Rahab was a sinful woman. Abraham was a friend of God, Rahab was the enemies of God. But they both had one thing in common that James brings to light. What is that one thing? Real faith authentic faith. Verse 21 through 23 is the story of Abraham in a synopsis. Abraham's story found near the first part of Genesis. Abraham was called by God to leave the land of the Ur of the Chaldees and God would show him where to go. After leaving there, God would eventually ask Abraham to offer up his son Isaac as a proof of God I am completely behind you. And we find in Genesis chapter 15 and verse number six, it says these words about Abraham, that he believed in the Lord and God counted it for him, to him, Abraham, for righteousness. The word counted is a financial term. It means to put on one's account. One man said it this way about Abraham. As a sinner, Abraham's spiritual bank book was empty. He was bankrupt, but he trusted God and God put righteous on Abraham's account. Abraham did not work for this righteousness. He received it as a gift from God. He was declared righteous by faith. He was justified by faith. The question then comes in verse number 21. When it says, by faith, Abraham was justified. How was Abraham justified by, or excuse me, by works Abraham was justified? That's what it says in verse 21. How is Abraham justified by works when according to the story of Abraham, he was already justified by faith? Here's a great answer. By faith, Abraham was justified before God and his righteousness was declared before God. By works, Abraham was justified before men and his righteousness was demonstrated. You see, the work of going to sacrifice his son Is that the the one that made, is that the the act that made Abraham a friend of God? Is that what he did when it says it was accounted unto him for righteousness? No. No. When Abraham packed up and said, God, I follow you anywhere, when God called him out of the earth of Chaldees, and it's Abraham's moment of turning to the Lord, his moment of repenting and following God, that, that is where it says it was counted unto him as righteousness. So the justification was in the eyes of people. Let's think about the story of Rahab. Rahab, she had heard about God. She was in the city of Jericho. She had heard about the true God. She had heard about the spies. She had heard about the people of Israel. The spies came in and she told them, we're fearful of you. Like we know that you guys are gonna annihilate us. You're gonna take us out. And then, but you gotta know the soldiers are coming after you. And then what does she do? We're about, to, we're about to step on a hornet's nest because she hid, she, she hid the spies and then what'd she do? Lied. All right, context matters. Ready? Context matters. <laughs> this is crazy. I love the Bible. In James, it says that by her, with that act, she was saved. So does that mean that her lying saved her? I mean, because she hit him and then she lied about it. Context matter. What, what's, what is it getting at? No, 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 no. She confessed to the spies about all this belief. Go back and read the story. She's like, I believe, like, you guys are gonna kill us. Like, can I come with you? Like, this, you guys, man, you are God's people. Thou, you serve the God alone. She confessed it. Just tell them we're busy, Craig. I can't take it right now. She, she confessed it, didn't she? Man, she just said, I, "I man, I believe." But what showed her belief was the action of protecting those messengers from God. It was belief that was displayed. Both of these figures, they had real faith. Abraham and Rahab, the two characters. And here's what James is helping us with. That a thriving and maturing Christian has a faith that desires to be in motion. Authentic faith is not just emotional faith. It is not empty faith. For the person at the moment of salvation, authentic faith is believing demonstrated by receiving. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Doesn't get more plain than that. That's the demonstration, that's the action at the moment of salvation. But then in the Christian life, for the believer who is learning to walk with God, this may be a a step in giving, it may be a step in talking to somebody about the Lord. It may be a step in uh, working and, and, and striving to clean up how I, how I speak or the, the attitude that I have. What is that? That is my faith in action, my faith in motion. It is simply James saying to these believers, and we've gotta remember the context of this, hey, you are going through a challenging time. Hey, I'm sure, believers, I am sure that you are being tempted and challenged to say one thing on Sunday when you gather with other believers to worship, but then in the week, you're probably challenged to not live it. Hey, believers, you're being persecuted. Again, think about where they're at. Think about who James is writing to. They're being persecuted for their faith. There are some of them uh, facing extreme persecution. The believers in Jerusalem, uh, many of them facing imprisonment and loss of house and job and all of that stuff. We have to know there's a temptation there to come to church and be like, yes, praise God, I'm for it. And then on Monday when you go to work, what'd you do this weekend? Nothing. I just hung out with my family. There had to be the temptation To say one thing on Sunday and live the opposite way in the week, why? You could die. So here's what James is helping them and helping us with. You all have faith. For some of you, it might be a dead faith. That's what James is writing. Hey, for some of you, there might be those among you that you've never taken the actionable step of receiving. You've never done that. Hey, don't just have an empty faith that's words only. There's others of you, you're, you, you have real faith, but it's just, it's just demonstrated in emotions all the time. You, you believe and tremble, it's just emotional. Hey, the demons do that too. James says, no, here's what we as real believers need to be called to, a faith That works. A faith that's in motion. A faith that's Micah being up in Facebook. What is it? I want to be in the action. You know what a thriving, maturing Christian has? A thriving, maturing Christian has a faith that desires to be in the action. Hey, I don't want to just say it. I don't want to just say, man, praise the Lord, Sunday was such a great day. Oh, man, I I love the Lord. I was stirred by the music today. No, I want to wake up tomorrow and say, God, how can I show you to people today? God, how can I live for you today? God, how can I demonstrate you to my family today? God, how can I show through my life that I'm truly your follower? Now, I'm not leaning on that for salvation. No, 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 no. For Dennis Fountain, salvation was nailed down years ago. That's when I got saved years ago. When I trusted Christ, man, I put my faith in Jesus, and I I got rid of the doubt, and I said, you know what? I'm turning to Him alone. I am saved, and ever since then, I have been saved. I haven't had to lose my salvation and get saved again and again and again and again. No, 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 no. That's a whole other message. Don't we ain't got time to go down that road. So I don't have to get saved over and over and over again. But ever since then, I'm on this journey. And the journey is, I don't want to have a faith that's simply words. I want to have a faith that's demonstrated, a faith that I live out. So what's James challenging us to? He's just challenging us to have a real faith that's lived out for people. People are going to assess. They're going to assess your faith. Oh, and now some of them may, they may judge Oh well, <laughs> they may do that thing. You, you can't worry about that. Here's what James is just saying: Hey, this week, this week, have a faith that desires to be on display. How do I? How do I display it, Lord? How do I display it, James? Action. Be in the action. A faith, a thriving, a maturing Christian has a faith that desires to be in the action. But maybe tonight you're here and you've, you don't have faith for salvation. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I would ask every person here tonight to introspectively look. Has there been a time in your life when you put your faith in Jesus, when you asked him to forgive you of your sin, you received that gift of salvation? If you're here tonight and you've never done that, I hope tonight before we leave that you'd make the decision to put your faith and trust in Christ. For those that are here and you have trusted Christ, would you pray, God, help me this week. Help me this week to live out a faith that has action behind it. Not to be that one, speaking of an empty faith or an emotional faith, wow, I'm stirred by Sunday. No, God, help me to be provoked to action this week so that I might demonstrate to others what real faith looks like. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.